How are you guys? Feels like I haven't been here in a long time. I missed you guys. Better introduce myself. <laughs> My name is Matt. I'm a teaching pastor here. Um, love my job. This uh, past week, we, uh, my wife, myself, Chad and Cece Hansen, we got away with a bunch of pastors up uh, in Banff, Canada. It's so hard. It's just life is so hard. I mean, it's, you're just like, you're driving there. And you're like, wow, <laughs> wow, wow. It just, it's, it's an amazing spot. Uh, reconnected with some friends that uh, I used to run with 20 years ago. It's so fun. And then met a bunch of new people. And I'm amazed at how strong the work of Jesus is right now. That's what I was reminded of. Three of these churches, uh, they're new plants. They've been given churches. One of them in the Bay Area a 12 to $15 million facility just gifted to him. I mean, it's just amazing. So yeah, like the kingdom continues to grow. That's just what it does. So Jesus today, we are glad you are our king. That you have come to redeem us and to rescue us, to set us free and atone for us to make all things new in our life, to redeem this fallen earth. And we are glad you're our King. And we pray, Lord, that this day, as we learn of you, that you would come in the volume of the book, that it would speak of you. And that our hearts would be aligned with your heart. And the work that we do would be work that matters at our home, in the office, in our city, in the cities of the United States, in the countries of the world, Lord, that the work that we do would matter because we're working for you, our King. So would you come and visit us? May we have a visitation by you. May we leave here today knowing of a truth, you are in this place. So be here. And we ask this in your name, amen. So while I was up there, I reconnected with a guy named Brian Fowler. If you don't know him, he's awesome. I've tried to hire him like 10 times. Dude, come work for us. So he's out in Raleigh, North Carolina right now, uh, pastoring a church. And he reminded me of this story. We had gone camping 20 years ago in 1998. And we'd hiked down the wild and scenic part of the Rogue River. And uh, there was a guy in our group, there was a group of about 30 of us, and this kid was straight out of Southern California, 19 years old, Matt Nicastro, total surfer, never been out of the concrete jungle. So he's like, are there bears out there? <laughs> so funny what people are afraid of. Are there bears out there? I'm like, dude, don't worry about bears. I've heard there's bears out there. I'm like, dude, I have ne- I've, been, I've lived here my whole life. I've never seen a bear out there. So the first night it's kind of raining and he's like, um, do you mind if I camp with you? I'm like, yeah, no problem, man, come. So he had this tarp. And so uh, we put the tarp up to four trees and we got our little camp and we're fall asleep. And at 5.40 a.m., he hits me. Dude, there's a bear at the bottom of our tent. <laughs> so I look out the bottom of, through my feet and there right at my feet is this bear smelling us. 
Now, if you smelled my feet after I've hiked all day, that should have been like bear spray. Nothing to eat here. Wow. So he's just there kind of sniffing at us. And Matt's like, what do we do? So I looked up, looked at him and I said, go home, bear, go home. So the bear looked at me, Matt Nicastro looked at me and then the bear just ran away. <laughs> and Matt says, can you do that? I said, oh yeah, they're trained around here. <laughs> the sad part is a year later, he was mauled to death by a bear. I'm so kidding, come on. <laughs> they're trained bears, watch this. Everybody has a fear. So guess what we're gonna talk about today? Fear, all right? So we're right now in the book of Acts and we're in chapter 18. And what you see in this chapter is brilliant. And there are two kinds of fears. There's good fear. When a bear is at the bottom of your tent, seeing if he should eat you, be afraid, right? When an 18 wheeler has lost its brakes and it's coming right at you, run, that's good fear. But there's bad fear. There's a lot of bad fear. There's fear that you will be traded in by your spouse for a younger model. There's fear that the finances that you've saved up for retirement won't be enough. There's fear that the mask that you've always put on around people will get torn off one day and they'll see who you are and they won't like you. There's fear of bullies at school or bullies at work. There's fear that your kids will get some kind of a disease that's incurable. There's fear that your skills are becoming outdated in this economy and you're not gonna have a job anymore. There's tons and tons of fear. And those kind of fears, what they do to you is they paralyze you. They limit you. They keep you from doing what you're supposed to be doing. And that's, that's the bad fear. So in chapter 18, what I love about the Bible is this. It's super honest. It doesn't sugarcoat things. It tells you the way things and people really are. So we've been in Acts for quite a while now, and we've met this guy named the Apostle Paul. And if there's a superhero in the Bible, outside of Jesus, no doubt, if there's a superhero in the Bible, I think Paul would be him. What he does is unbelievable, right? I think he would annoy his enemies because it just seems like it doesn't matter what they want to do to him, he would love it. Like, we're gonna kill you. Philippians 1, to die is gain. How do you want to do it? Hmm. We're going to let you live. Great. To live is Christ. I got more time. Right? All right. We're going to take all your money from you. Philippians 4. Been rich. Been poor. Looks like I'm poor again. Hmm. We're going to beat you up and put you in prison. Acts 16. Awesome. I'll kick back with my buddy Silas and sing praise to Jesus. Huh. Okay. We're gonna kill your friends then. Oh, I'm jealous. They got home first. Like it wouldn't matter what you did to Paul. He would seem impervious to it. With that in mind, look at what happens in Acts 18. It's verse nine of the book of Acts. And it says this. 
And the Lord said to Paul, one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among the people. How amazing is that? How amazing is that? The superhero of the New Testament is told by God, don't be afraid. What does that mean? Paul was. He was afraid. You only say to somebody that's afraid, hey, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Everyone gets afraid, right? What do you call somebody that says they've never been afraid? A liar. You guys are so good. That's it. We've all had that bad kind of fear that imprisons us and limits us and paralyzes us. So this is what God does. God does four things for the apostle Paul to get him out of this mindset of paralyzed fear. It's the same thing I think that you and I can have happened to us. So we're not paralyzed by fear. So number one, notice what God does. He says this, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and don't be silent. What I see in there is this, keep it up, Paul, you're doing a good job. God doesn't say, hey, you've been talking about some stuff that aren't, isn't quite right, change it. No, Paul, you're killing it right now. Keep preaching, keep talking, keep it up. Encouragement. Do you know how important encouragement is in the life of the believer? You know that we live on encouragement, that it fills your tank. Is everything all right? Okay, good. Am I okay? You wanna take my blood pressure? <laughs> Encouragement is what we live on. That too often I think what happens in our life when we deal with people is we give way too much correction and never enough encouragement. We don't do, dude, keep on talking. Great job. So we have way too much vinegar and not enough honey. You catch more flies with honey than you do with vinegar. Have a lifestyle where you're encouraging people. Because what happens is this, when someone gets encouraged in what they're doing, then it like answers a bunch of questions. Like, am I supposed to be doing this? Am I good at this? Do people like this when I do that? Maybe I'm gonna quit and do something else. When you encourage them, they're like, oh, this is where I fit. Thank you. It's like Jesus in Matthew chapter three, he gets baptized. That's the moment in Jesus's life where in his humanity, he is submitting to the divine plan. And right after he gets baptized, he comes out of the water, a dove descends, the heavens open, and the father says to the son, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Good job, son. Good job. Dads, do you know how important it is for you to look at your son and to say to him, son, good job. 
I'm well pleased with you. Moms, do you know how important it is for you to say to your daughters, son? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Daughter, <laughs> I'm pleased with you. Good job. And it's always, the best affirmation is always from the greater to the lower, right? The father to the son. Paul gets it from God. It's always top down. It always is that way. I went to school for a long time and I would take these tests or I would write these papers, right? I could not grade my own paper and be like, great job, Matt, brilliant. You are so awesome because it's meaningless. But if a professor that I respected said the same thing to me, oh man, how much encouragement that gave me for the next term or the next paper. It gave me, oh, I wanna go write that paper right now. That's what encouragement does. Listen to me. If you're a dad, a mom, a boss, a grandparent, look at those that are under you, younger than you, and find ways to encourage them. They say this, the famous they, the ratio is four to one. That we should have four times of impacting encouragement, real thought out encouragement for every single time we wanna correct someone that's under us. And when you get that kind of ratio, people's tanks are fueled. People are full, they go for it. So the number one thing that puts the grizzly of fear in hibernation is God looks at Paul and says, keep doing it. You're doing a good job, encouragement. Number two is he says this, no one will attack you to harm you. God names the thing Paul was afraid of. I think we are supposed to name the things that we're afraid of. I'm afraid that my kids will grow up and be addicted to drugs. I'm afraid that my parents will get Alzheimer's disease and no one will be there to care for them. I'm afraid I'll, I'll get Alzheimer's disease and no one will be there to care for me. I'm afraid that my marriage is heading for divorce. I'm afraid that I'm never gonna be loved, that I'll grow old and lonely. I think we're supposed to name our fears. I think a lot of us actually need a fear journal where you start just writing out the things that make you afraid and you put a date by it. And then you wait six months and you revisit that and you say, did I really have something to be afraid of? Or was this just an attack of the enemy that wants to steal and to kill and to destroy? I think it's so important to do that because what you find is this, most of the things that we fear are not legitimate. And in six months, they're meaningless. And you start training yourself, I shouldn't be afraid of that. But as a believer, we need to go a step further, which is this. Whenever I have a fear now, I write right next to it how the good news of Jesus Christ addresses that exact fear. So I'll try to give you an example. I have this fear, probably most people that have similar jobs do. I have a fear that you guys will not think I'm a very good pastor. And that's just typical. I was with a bunch of pastors, pretty normal, right? So that fear, here's what it does to me. It causes me, and, and I've shared this story before, it causes me to make certain decisions that aren't actually very good. So this will happen to me from time to time. Someone will say, hey, Matt, I need some help on this idea. Do you have any books on that? I'm like, I got the perfect book for you. Let me order it for you. I'll get that book for you. Okay, great. On Monday morning, 
guess what happens to me? I forget. And so a week goes by, two weeks, three weeks, and I see that same individual again. They're like, hey, remember that book you're supposed to get for me? No, I don't remember. I don't even remember you, <laughs> right? But do I say that in that moment? No, oh, book's in the mail. <laughs> and what I mean by that is tomorrow morning it'll be in the mail, right? It actually causes me to be dishonest because I'm fearing something. And when I fear something, it has this power over me. So how do you bring the gospel to bear on that? Well, I bring Colossians 3, one through three on to that, which says this, your life is hidden Christ and Christ who is your life. My life will not be in people saying, Matt, you're a great pastor. That will never be enough for me. I'll need more people to say it. I'll need that constant kind of, I need more and more. No, you know what my life is? It's found in Christ. My life will not be someone saying to me after this service, hey, that was a great sermon. Thank you very much. I'll be back next week. That's not gonna be my life. My life is found in Jesus, who is the bread of life. And when I learn to drink of him, I don't get thirsty anymore. And what that does is it saves me from the control of fear. A great discipline is to write out the things that you're afraid of and then say, Jesus, give me a gospel answer why I do not need to be afraid of that one thing. So that's what God's gonna do for Paul right here. Paul, you've had this fear. Let me redirect you. Let me take care of that fear with something. Here's what he does. It's brilliant. He says this, no one's gonna attack you for I have many people in this city who are my people. What God says is this, Paul, you have this fear. It's legitimate. You've been hurt. But here's the most important thing. There are many people in this city that need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and to be set free from the slavery of sin. He gives Paul his mission again. What's most important is not you being safe or you being comfortable, Paul. What's most important is that the souls in Corinth that need to hear the gospel, get saved. Here's what I found in life. What I value the most will drive my deepest fears. That's why kids cause so much fear in parents because we value them so much. So I'll try to give you an example of this. And I used to have a 1997 F-250 diesel truck. It had 360,000 miles when the odometer broke, beat to snot. It was a crummy for a logging, app, uh, logging operation, just beat to snot. I would let anybody borrow it. I let Kelly Scudstat borrow it. He nearly ripped off the passenger door. The only door, the only panel on that truck that wasn't dented. And now it was dented. I was like, dude, come on. And then later on, I thought, no, it actually matches now. Thank you. <laughs> it's a great little remodel, right? Could care less. I would leave the key in it because the key was really hard to get out. I'd leave the key in it everywhere I went. Like I'd leave it in it whenever I drive around Grant's Pass and nobody stole it. Okay, that's saying something in GP. Like it was so bad, people like, I haven't stealing that thing. That's even worthless, right? I, it didn't matter to me because it had no value. I didn't fear it getting stolen or wrecked or destroyed. No fear, because it had no value. I have another vehicle. It's a 1966 Volkswagen Boss. Oh, it has value to me. Like my kids, I don't even want them in there. Like, are you clean? 
Don't even, don't open the door. I'll open the door for you, right? I don't let my wife drive it. I say it's because the brakes are bad and the steering's a little loose, but really it's, I just don't want her to wreck it. I might have a hard time forgiving her, so no, right? It has this value to me. And because it has this value, then I attach fear to it. When something, when something has great value, it will drive the deepest fear in your life. So here's what God's doing with Paul. He's saying, make this your highest value. Make the mission your highest value. It's exactly what Jesus does in Matthew chapter six. You should read it. Verses 25 through 33. Jesus says this. Don't be anxious. Don't be worried. Don't be fearful about the food you eat or the clothes you wear. For isn't life more than food and clothing? Ask that question of Instagram. Is life more than food and clothing? Here's my lunch, here's my new pants. <laughs> right? He's saying, what Jesus is saying is this. If you put a great value on something, it will lead to anxiety and worried. So if you're always worried about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink or the food that you're going to eat or the clothes you're going to wear, you give it a power that will lead to anxiety. And so Jesus, here's what he does. If you keep reading that, he says, look, your father takes care of the birds. He'll take care of you. The flowers are more beautiful than any clothing that Solomon has. And then he says, have this as your number one value. It's verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. If you get this as your supreme value, you won't fear that stuff anymore. It's called ordered loves. If this is your number one value, everything else, all your fears are put in their right perspective. If you have this mission as your right thing. I believe you can tell what you value the most by what brings you the most fear. If I am really afraid of failing, then I have this maybe inordinate love of success. If I'm really worried about people's opinions of me, if I value that too much, so I won't speak and I won't share and I won't tell them the truth, then probably I value my reputation or people's opinion of me too highly. If you really dig down into your fear, you can almost find out what your true God is, what has control over you. And so what Jesus says, and what God does to Paul is, make the mission number one, and it will order your fears. Paul, you're too worried about safety. You're too worried about comfort. Its value is too high in your life. And now you can't live the brilliant life that I have for you. Safe people never live brilliant lives. And so God is like, don't worry about safety. It's the kingdom. It's salvation. It's souls. Number three. And then lastly, maybe most importantly, God says this to Paul. Do not be afraid, verse 10, for I am with you. If you've been at Edgewater for any time, you know this. The most repeated command in the Bible is do not be afraid. Most often followed by the one reason, I'm with you. 
don't be afraid because I'm with you. There is a theme in the Bible, the giants of the faith, the giants of the faith, when they were afraid of something, when there was fear, it was always, we don't have to be afraid because God's near. It's Moses back to the Red Sea, Pharaoh's army coming down, looks like a slaughter. The people are all worried, fearful, we're dead. And what does Moses do? Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. David, 15, 16 years of age, marches up to the armies of his brothers and of Israel and sees this giant come out named Goliath who defies all the armies. And it says all the soldiers went and hide behind, hid behind the wagons. And what does David do? 16 years old. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that dares defy the armies of the living God? He's alive, he's with us. What are you afraid of? It's a theme in the Bible. When God's with you, why are you afraid? And then it ends, there's this, there's this crazy verse at the end of the Bible. It's Revelation 21.8. And Revelation 21 is about the people that will spend eternity with God, what they're like. And then there's this one verse that says, but these kind of people won't spend eternity with God. Let me read it for you because it's really fascinating. And then I'm done. I might talk about it a bit. (laughs) So it says this, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. That verse says this, these kind of people will not spend eternity with God. And some of them make make absolute total sense. No liars there. Like, We live in a culture now where lying is just accepted, isn't it? Like people are just gonna lie. There's a movie made about a guy that could not lie, right? Liar, liar, Jim Carrey. Have you seen that movie? I haven't, I just read my Bible and pray. (laughs) And it's funny, like he has to tell the truth. Like, that's funny? I thought we were supposed to tell the truth. We're in a culture now that just, lies are normal. In heaven, in eternity, you won't lie. How cool is that gonna be? Yeah, amen. Gals, you're trying to figure out why a guy's interested in you. You could just ask him. Is he a catch or a creep? Dude, why are you interested in me? Well, I'm living with my parents right now and I'm trying to find a wife that will support me so I can play video games and drink beer. Do you want to go out? Nope. Welcome to Grandson House, yeah. We're going to chunk out some good ones here. Trust us. That's, gonna, that's eternity. That's, you know, people just have to tell the truth. No murderers there. It'd be a really bummer to finally make it to New Jerusalem and be like, this place is awesome. Bang. Ah, oh, that's a bummer. No murderers. Makes total sense. No sexually immoral. In eternity, there won't be selfishness where people take what does not belong to them. That won't happen. It's brilliant. Like there's all, there's all this brilliant stuff. But then it says, no cowards. Like, Really? I was born with a yellow streak. God, that doesn't seem fair. No cowards? It seems to be really important to God. 
to put it in that list. People that are afraid won't be with me through eternity. Now, why is that? Because fear is the byproduct of a lack of faith. If you really believed that God was with you, what would you be afraid of? Nothing. And you'll be with God. So eventually all fear will be gone in the believer because you'll be with him. But I think even right now, we can live lives that are free of fear. If you begin to realize God's with me. And if God is with me, I don't believe the believer can ever fail. All things work together for good to those that love him and are called according to his purpose. But Matt, I failed before. No, you haven't. Maybe it's that failure that's gonna be the most important thing that you've ever done in your life. Maybe like Jeremiah, you'll preach for 40 years. No one will believe. They'll imprison you. They'll kidnap you. They'll throw you down and finally kill you. And on this side of eternity, it looks like a failure. But now how many billions of people have been blessed by reading his story, having gone through the same thing? Maybe it's like that. See, I think we get life wrong. We think it's about the win-loss column. In the kingdom, I don't think it's about win-loss. It's about obeying and trusting. Those are the two things that God holds up. Did you obey me and did you trust me? If you obeyed me and trusted me, that's a win period. That's a win. So the question that this text demands of you and me is this, do I trust God? And if I trust him, I'll obey him. Do I trust God? Do I trust the one that spoke the stars into existence? Do I trust him? Do I trust the one that says, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world? Do I trust him? Do I trust the one that says, be of good cheer? In this world, you'll have tribulation, but I have overcome. That you can have cheer in the middle of trials because he's with you. Do I trust the one that says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you'll be with me. That you'll set a table for me in the presence of my enemies in the absolute place where I would never expect it. I'm gonna be filled and nourished and surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Do you trust the one that says that? That's what it boils down to. Because when you do, his perfect love casts out that fear and you live a life that's brilliant and beautiful, free from the enslavement of fear. Do you trust him? The more you trust him, the more you'll obey him and the less you'll fear. And eventually one day for all of us believers, all fear will be gone, no cowards. Here's what I know. There are people in here today that are afraid and that fear is paralyzing them. They're unable to go into certain situations, talk to certain people, step out in the ways that God is calling them to. It's limiting them, it's reducing them. And I know this, great people like the apostle Paul had fear. Great people like the apostle Paul had fear. It's not wrong to fear. It's what you do next that matters. Am I gonna take this, remind myself, that the one who loved me 
and gave everything for me, will not withhold anything from me. Well, I'll remind myself that I am a child of King Jesus and he is well pleased in me. Well, I'll remind myself that there is a greater mission that I am on, souls to be saved, good news to be declared than whatever fear I have. Because when I do those things, you're set free. Well, I remind myself that he's with me. When you do that, you put the grizzly bear of fear into hibernation and that's where he belongs. So if you're here today and you're paralyzed by fear, let me make this offer to you. There'll be some leadership guys and gals over here. We'd love to lay hands on you and pray for you. Pray that maybe God gives you a vision like he gave the apostle Paul, that you're set free from that to live brilliantly the way that you want to. We'd love to pray for you. And maybe you're here today and you don't know where you're gonna go when that day comes. I love, if you're a church in the park, I love what Zoro said. He said, life is a limited time offer. That's so good. I just been thinking about that. Life's a limited time. That's right. <laughs> it's a limited time offer. And maybe you're not sure what happens after this limited time offer. Well, come down here, believe in Jesus and be baptized. It's something we offer every Sunday outside. Amen. Be baptized. There are many people in Grant's Pass that God has. And we wanna see those that we're called to minister to get saved and believe in Jesus. So get prayed for and get baptized. And let's go from here knowing Jesus says to you and me, you are more than a conqueror in me. You have nothing to fear. Go out into Grant's Pass, build the kingdom, live brilliant lives without fear. So Jesus, this day, Thank you that you are with us. Thank you that low, even to the end of this age, I'll be with you. And we have this commission that's so great. Go into all the world, go into all Grant's past, go into all Josephine County and preach the gospel and make disciples, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's what we get to do. We get to partner with you. May that mission be so great in our heart that it drives out the other values that make us fearful. And we know you're with us in that mission. I pray for those that maybe are so afraid to come up today to get prayer for their fear. I pray that they would know the promise of 2 Timothy 1.7, that you have not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and power and soundness of mind. And this morning, that fear can be driven out by love and by power and by soundness of mind, and by the laying on of the hands of the assembly. I pray that as we go from here, we'd be a group of people that love our community so much that we're fearless, that we have the mission of many souls in Grant's Pass, that we will not be made afraid by the enemy of our faith because you're with us. And I pray this in Jesus, your name, amen.